church. See everybody this morning. I want to pray for Mary this morning. I don't know if any of you heard she fell recently. Uh, I, I think she broke her arm, fractured her arm, uh, fell down face first on the ground. So let's pray for her this morning. She's in uh, she's in need of a touch, and then we'll at the same time as we're uh, we're doing that. If you if you have an unspoken request this this morning, just just signify that by raising of your hand. Got some unspoken requests. So obviously we got a lot of needs and things that we need to attend to in prayer. So let's do that this morning. Father, we're just thankful this morning, Father God, to be here, Lord. And we come collectively, God, with group faith, Father God, to ask you to touch Mary this morning. Father, we just ask you to just bless her, bless her body, Father God. We just ask that you would just recover her and restore her, Lord. Heal her body, Father God, and help her in this, this situation, Lord. And Father, every hand that has been raised this morning signifying an unspoken request, Lord God, uh, uh, just family members or, or friends or, or just situations, of God, that, that go unsaid, Lord. I pray that you'll touch these situations, deal with these people individually, Lord. We just pray your anointing and your touch, Father God, on these people, Father God. And we thank you, God, always, Lord God, for allowing us to do this, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you this morning. We're on the last lesson in our study guides. Page 61. Title of today's lesson is uh, Working Through Church Problems. What's the church, though, right? We don't have problems. We're good. <laughs> It's um, it's a it's a how do I say it? It's a perfect. We have a perfect God that heads this thing up, but we are imperfect people doing perfect work. Imperfect people doing perfect work. Anytime you're going to be involved in church, I wish I could say this to everybody, uh, even people that are not here. Hey, if you're going to church, you're going to come across problems. You just are. Yeah, whether that's in church, outside of church, uh, with the, the people of the church, there's going to be church issues. I like this lesson because it's practical. And you're going to see that word again here in a minute. I like practical lessons. I like lessons that talk about the reality of life, the reality of everyday things, and the reality of what we do each and every week. We come here every week, and this is a, a place that we hold of high value. It's high value to you and I. And, and, and we love this place. It's, but at the same time, we also need to understand what comes with this. And we know, or we, at least we should know up to this point, that there's going to be problems. There's going to be things that you're, you're going to deal with. And I think that the, the practical side of this is, is if that's going to be the case and we're going to have to deal with problems, then we need to know what they're going to be and, and how to actually approach them. We prepare ourselves for them. What usually happens, and I'm giving you a worst-case scenario. Worst-case scenario is there's a problem, it's not worked through, people are offended, and the church splits. We've seen it in, well, let just, let's go ahead and just narrow it down to this area. We've seen church splits in this area uh, over the last 20 years quite a bit. We're just human. We're just people. And I think that, I, I believe that those, those splits and those things happened because there were issues that could be worked through, that could have been worked through, but they just weren't worked through. I think that there was probably people that were offended that couldn't get past the offense. I think that there are situations that we have to accept as being, that's the reality of it. It's just the way it is. And so if I'm going to be hit with problems, then I need to know how to work through them. And, and really up front, I need to be willing to work through them. And I think that's the first question that you have to ask yourself, not the person sitting next to you, not the person across the aisle, is yourself, is am I willing to actually work through problems to see the thing to the end? You might actually answer that no. And I think that therein lies the first problem, is ourselves is when we deal with personal church problems or you deal with people on a personal basis, it's the first thing we have to do is call ourselves out and ask ourselves, am I actually willing to work through this? It, it hasn't happened to me per se in church. There have been times. But in other areas of my life, I've applied that very thing. 
and I asked myself, am I actually, what's, what's causing this problem to be continually drawn out? Why haven't I been able to get this problem resolved? And I asked myself the very hard question, Tanner, are you willing to actually get by this? Do you want to get by it or do you want to hold on to it? And I wanted to hold on to it. I was content with holding a grudge or being, being frustrated or being angry, and I was actually quite comfortable in it. And I realized that the problem actually wasn't with the other individual. The problem was with me because I didn't want to work through it. And so that thing, that's the first question that we ask ourselves, getting into the, uh, uh, an overview of working through church problems is, are, are you an individual who wants to work through things, or are we people who want to hold on to things? And not maybe we're resistive. Maybe you're a disagreeable person. Maybe that's hard to admit. <laughs> so let's get into this because this is one of those practical lessons. I love these lessons. Uh, Central truth, uh, church problems can be solved by listening to the Holy Spirit and applying biblical principles. Under let's get started, church problems are deterrents to church growth. If unbelievers see division, quarreling, legalism, or prejudice in a church, they will not be drawn to it. Do you agree with that? I'll tell you what I agree with. Now, I agree with that. I do. But let, let's, let's come back to the basis of it all. We're not perfect people. I think what people are not drawn to. Now, let me, let me just kind of, let's unpack that. I think what people are not drawn to is, is a group that is not willing to resolve the issue. I think everybody knows there will be an issue. It's people that are not willing to resolve the issue. And it's when you have something boiling underneath and people know it but it's allowed to be let go, and then we're not people uh, proactively seeking a solution and seeking it through love. Have to be seeking it through love. And so, yeah, I, I agree. People, people are not really drawn to that. But also, if you, if you can, maybe you can agree with this, people's perception of the church, I believe, is incorrect, and I believe we've been, we have, the church has given people the wrong perception of the church, and it's that, that we are perfect. Yeah, we do everything just right. We have this facade of perfection. But I believe if you admit that there's a problem and we admit that there's issues that we're working through, that's much more apt to have people be drawn to that because you can relate to them and they can relate to you because you both admit that you're human. I believe people have a much easier time relating to you working through an issue than pretending that the issue doesn't exist. I truly believe that. Amen. I got to too, but I'm going to leave an attitude that I'm right and you're wrong. And I'm uh, right. right. That's it. And that can be one or a group. Yes, it can. And that's, and that's a tough self-examination, too, is, is do we always like to be right? Well, of course you do. Everybody likes to always be right. Right? <laughs> we always like to be right because that's the easiest course. I'm right and you're wrong. But we're gonna we're gonna look through this and we're gonna find that there's there's gonna be times when we have to really take some steps back and and realize that the solution to a lot of our problems, the solutions many times, is that we come off of always having to be right. That's how you work through things. Well, I'll introduce you to that here in just a minute. But coming off of always believing that we have to be right. And look, church, I've been in an, you know, I've been married for 22 years. You all know. For those of you that have been married for a long time, if you want to make it in marriage for a long time, you better admit and get too comfortable admitting that you're not right. <laughs> you better get comfortable with it. And it's like, you might have all the facts in your hand. Like, I know that I'm not wrong about this, but out of love, what do we do? All right, that's okay. Let it go. That's how you get through. That's a relationship, right? Amen. So we have relationships here. Relationships of high value, relationships that, that mean something to us. So the principle still applies the same. You want to make it through this relationship? Then there's going to be times that we have to step back and just say, that's fine, I'm going to let you have it. No problem. Out of love, I'm going to let you have it. I, I've, I'll ask you this question, church. When you, was, when you was in an argument with your spouse and it was heated, and you finally got your point across, or you finally proved your evidence, or you finally proved your point. Did you feel like you won? Nope. You feel like you lost. 
because love was absent. We were basing it on information. We weren't basing it on forgiveness. We were basing it on, I'm going to prove it to you. Right? That's that hard wire. I'm going to prove it to you that you're wrong and I'm right. And when we approach it from that angle, no matter who ends up being right in the end, we're all wrong and we all lose. Right there. Jesus' righteousness. Yeah, it's his. His righteousness. That's right. It's what helps us. It's, it's got to be his. That's, That's what good. helps us. Very good. Okay. Instead, they will assume Christians are no different than the unbelievers in the world where they live and work. Even the early church was not immune to the difficulties we face in our local churches. This lesson offers practical teaching on how to recognize and solve those problems so we can be about the business of reaching our friends, family members, <clears throat> and communities for Christ. This lesson deals with six problems that seemed to plague the early church throughout the first century. Legalism, prejudice, worldliness, pride, carnality, and spiritual immaturity. These problems have shown themselves to be timeless. That's, I think that's good, and I agree with that. The problems have proven to be timeless. Reflecting the basic temptations common to everyone in this fallen world. But with the Holy Spirit's guidance... And empowerment, we can identify ways to overcome them. We all agree in the Holy Spirit, right? We agree that he reveals truth to us. So why wouldn't he come to us and show us how to resolve our problems? Why wouldn't he? Let me ask you this. I got to ask this question because I, I, want, to, I want to jog your heart, jog your, jog your thinking here. Have you ever asked for the guidance of the Holy Spirit in an oh, argument? Yeah. Have you ever invited him in? Now, see, that's hard in itself because in an argument or in a disagreement, there's a lot of self-will up front. And in order to, to get to the solution, do we have the ability to back away and release it and say, you know, Holy Spirit, I'm going to give it to you. And one of the reasons we struggle with that, one of the reasons we struggle with that is because we are afraid that the Holy Spirit might point out that we're wrong. We're like, hmm. I think I'll just keep it to myself. <laughs> mm, I don't know if I want to give it to him because if I give it to him, he may actually show me that I'm at fault and I'm wrong here. And so are we or do we have the capability of stepping away and asking the Holy Spirit for his guidance in solving the problem? That's in your marriages. That's in your relationships. That's in the church. Why wouldn't I think about it? We're in church. Why wouldn't we ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance? To fix the problem. Brother, go ahead. Do, do you think argument serves a purpose of anything? Yeah, I do. Now, the reason I say that is it depends on what kind of argument it is. If it's argument to the point of, and then when you say argument, if it's heated and angry and we're visceral and we're coming at each other, that's different. Now, I might be thinking more of a discussion where I can sit down with you and we can come to an understanding that I don't agree with you and you don't agree with me, but we're still going to proceed forward. I believe vitriol arguments serve no purpose. Where I'm, because that part of it actually is just to hurt someone. It's just to hurt somebody. The exchange of information, which I believe is absent a lot of times, is me sitting down with Sean and saying, Sean, tell me what's going on, man. What, what is the problem here? And Sean says, well, look, Tanner, I just don't agree with what you're doing here. I say, Sean, you know what? I appreciate that. I appreciate you telling me that. I think I'm still going the right way, and I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing, but I appreciate you letting me know. I'm going to try not to offend you, but I've got to continue doing this. We agree to disagree. We agree to disagree. But let me, let's, let's proceed into this. How many times does it even get that far to where we can have two grown adults come together and admit that they don't see eye to eye? That's one of the biggest problems that we have in the church is that we just admit it. We don't see eye to eye. That's okay. Let's proceed <coughs> forward. Let's proceed forward. Pastor, go ahead. I thought you were going to say no, something. I was just going to say when hackles go up, they're hard to get back down. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, along with my brother's statement there, uh, yelling, screaming, uh, being overbearing, that doesn't have a place in the church. This is your brother. Remember, this is your brother and sister in Christ. We love each other, right? I'd say if it comes to the point where you're arguing, I'll give you my opinion here. If it comes to the part where you feel like you have to yell at somebody, you've been holding that for too long. Yeah. 
you've been holding it for too long, now it's been allowed to build. Mm -hmm. And we've all been guilty of that. Yeah, yeah we can all say amen to that one. That's, mm -hmm. that's a tough one. All right, somebody have their hand up? Sorry. Okay. Let's read our scriptures. Haley, you would? Acts 15, 1. And while Paul and Barnabas were, in, were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and elders about this question. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. You must abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If you do this, you will do well. Farewell. Revelation 3.16 but since you are like this, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. First Peter 5, 5. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. 1 Corinthians 3.1 Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. For you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, aren't you acting just like people of the world? After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Thank Page 63, Legalism and Prejudice. When a group of Jewish believers taught that circumcision was necessary for salvation, Paul and Barnabas led a delegation to Jerusalem to discuss the issue with the church leaders and apostles there. All right, just, just within itself, just let's read that again. Jewish believers taught that circumcision was necessary for salvation. They believe that was the Judaizers that was cooking that whole thing up. It was this belief that circumcision was still at play as far as being being allowed into this new covenant. Because we're talking about Christ. We're still talking about the covenant because already it, it, there was already death, burial, and resurrection. The, the, the new covenant had been established. But then all of a sudden you have this new group that rise up and say, we're okay with that new covenant, but there's going to have to be some circumcision involved in this in order for you to actually be saved now tell me why that's wrong i'm just i'm laying it out there you guys tell me what you think about that why was that a problem it was invalidating god's power to graft right. in these gentiles it was like saying well you've got to do this to prove that he's actually going to bring you in under okay. our law right okay that's good also salvation by works salvation by works right and so he was yeah, it, and you said that in, invalidating. There was there was this um, this watering down of what God had actually given them and done for them. And so you can see now this was just one problem. You look at this. You look at what I mean, we've talked about it and agreed on it. If you look at what the early church had to go through, and I've said <coughs> this conversion over into the new covenant and be able to stand on exactly what God had given them was difficult. It was tough because they they were still mixed up in a lot of the legalism. And you remember that the, the Pharisees had already really planted a lot of seeds into them over all these decades and years and years and years and up to the point where then Christ establishes a new covenant. Now they're not sure how to get out of it. What do we, How do we get out of this? Tom, and this is tradition work. Yes. Against what God has made a purpose. Mm-hmm. Sure. Nobody wants to change. Got to say what, you know, mm -hmm. I see that in here. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. So so let's well, let's talk about the tr traditional aspect of for just a minute. So we've, we we have tradition. Now we have cultural tradition, but you have you have individual tradition. You got things going on inside of you that are traditional, in the sense that you hold very close and very dear. And if somebody steps on that tradition, kind of take it offensively. It's like, hey, that's the way I do things, right, on a personal level. And I think everyone in here has certain aspects of ourselves that we have to look at and say, well, you know, is, is it worth, I say it like this, is it worth the fight? Is it worth the fight to hold on to something that we dub as being a personal tradition of ours? To step out of the way for other people to be able to walk through? To be able to turn loose of something I hold to so rigidly? And it's, it's not necessarily anything biblical. It's not necessarily anything um, that has been put into place by legal or law. It's just my own personal way of seeing things. That's the way I see it. And if you don't see it that way, then phooey on you. I think that's called control. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Think about that for just a minute. Think about the, the, the way we hold on to those personal ideas so strongly. And if we're not careful, they'll get in the way. We'll, we'll put those first, and our brothers and sisters can see it, and we're like, man, they're really, they're really stout on that. They're really strong on those topics or those subjects. And I feel like if I, I feel like I, when I'm around them, I'm walking on eggshells. Anybody? Yes. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody else had their hand. Hold on, Jimmy. Someone else had their hand up. Pastor, did you have your hand up? I'm trying to get everybody on this. Go ahead, Jimmy. Uh, well, the law was good in its time. Uh -huh. But Jesus came. He said, follow me. Right. Yep. The and so, law wasn't done completely uh -huh. away with, but he, he made it. Where it would be, it would, it would count for something mm -hmm. besides just what man said. <coughs> yeah, he said. He, he said, "I didn't come to do away with it. I come to fulfill follow it. me. I, I am the fulfillment of that law." So he says, "The church in Jerusalem included some Pharisees who had become Christians. They argued the Gentile converts must be circumcised and required to follow the law of Moses." Peter reminded them God intended for the gospel to be preached to the Gentiles. This was confirmed by the gift of the Holy Spirit being given. To them. Where did that happen? Mm. Gift of the Holy Spirit was given to the Gentiles through Cornelius. So we got so his argument to them was he said, Y'all are saying that you have to be circumcised in order to be uh, involved in this this uh, salvation. I was with Cornelius and he was a Gentile and a Roman. He wasn't well, at least we they wouldn't have been circumcised. And he said he was filled with the Holy Ghost argue that that's what he was saying he was saying he was filled with the holy ghost so so your requirement to place this on them and to say it has to be this way doesn't make any sense so you can see the dissension here um in this uh exchange of information he said guys that's not right so god did not distinguish between jewish and gentile believers so those demanding circumcision were casting doubt on the validity of god's work among the gentiles peter noted that their ancestors could not keep the whole law the only way to receive salvation, whether Jew or Gentile, is through the grace of Christ. And that was, that's really the, that, that's the perfect work of grace right there when we talk about grace because so often today grace has been taken advantage of. It's being used and explained in a way where, where um, it's a free-for-all. See, the, the beauty of grace, this is the most beautiful part of grace. The beauty of grace is that you didn't do anything to get what you have right now. Do we, do we do things to keep ourselves out of sin and away from things that displease God? Yes, absolutely. But you did not bring yourself into the throne room of God. Jesus did that. Pure grace. That's the beauty of grace right there. And I would say that it's important to understand grace's place in your life and the way that it works. Some people will say, uh, Pastor, we, we've talked about this, and you've explained this before, the, the belief of something called hypergrace. Or this belief that, it, what that is, is taking grace out of context. Grace is a beautiful thing, but when you overextend it, and it begins to become that grace, not only does it cover all, but it's a permit all, 
it's a free-for-all, it's whatever you want, then grace has been taken out of context. And actually, you've watered it down and you've taken away from its beauty. It's a beautiful thing that we sit here this morning being able to contact God. You can close your eyes. You don't have to do that, but I'm going to paint a picture. You can close your eyes this morning and you can feel the presence of God. That's because of grace. Grace has allowed you in. But I'm going to tell you, church, that right there, just within that sphere, that's where it stops. The rest of it from there on out, it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be here and to live in it and to, to, uh, to experience it. But we have to make sure that we keep it in the right context. If you don't, then grace begins to look like a green light. You just do whatever you want. I think grace is a great skill. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. Yes, it is. That's exactly what we're saying. All right, so keeping grace in the right context. Okay, um, next paragraph down below. Um, Peter's words were reinforced by James. Two leaders from the Jerusalem church who were appointed to join Paul and Barnabas in going back to Antioch with a letter, explaining that the Judaizers were not sent by the leaders in Jerusalem, but had acted alone. He's saying, saying hey, listen, we got some, we got some misrepresentation going on here. And he was plainly telling them, we didn't send them. They're not coming from us. We're not trying to send two different messages. We're sending one message, which is grace through Christ. And we are telling you, you do not have to be circumcised in order to be welcomed into this family. That's what he was saying, essentially. Now, of course, it's more legal here. But that's what they were trying to say is, we didn't send them. Those aren't our people. They're acted on their own. Through the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Jerusalem Council gave these instructions to promote unity and fellowship in the churches. Now, I want you to pay attention to this because you have to understand the culture. You have to understand what was going on. And remember, when this is spoken here, think about the two, the two cultures that were being mixed, which was what? The Gentile believer and the Jewish believer. We mixed the two, right? And because of that mixture, it was causing issues. Now, before I read this, I want you to think about the way a church is set up. What is it, how is it set up? It's set up based solely on volunteers. Solely on volunteers. You come in all on your own desire. If you're here this morning, it's because you want to be here. Nobody made you, right? Every one of you come from a different background and a different walk of life. Every one of you have your own ideas about things, agreements, disagreements, things that you think are good, some things that you think are bad. There's a really good chance that it differs completely from the person sitting on the other side of the aisle. Really good chance that it does. I'm telling you that because the way that the church is set up is that at some point in time, there absolutely has to be unification in order for this thing to actually work. There absolutely has to be a dying of self in what I think should happen or the way I think it should be in the giving way for new ideas and new things. Has to be. If it is not, then as my sister pointed out, then we have a sense of control that demands things become a certain way. And by doing that, that takes the, either the Gentile or the Jewish believer and makes them feel that they're dominated. Now, if you'll notice here, I wanted to wait and read this to you because what you'll see here is a compromise. This was a compromise. I want you to show, let's look what he said. So the, the ruling came down. And he said, through the leading of the Holy Spirit, the Jerusalem Council gave these instructions to promote unity, unification, and fellowship in the churches. He said, do not eat food offered to idols. Who was he saying that to? He was saying it to the Gentile believers. They didn't know anything about this stuff. So they come in with this whole new belief system. And the, the Jews that were initially staying away from these things, they're seeing all this taking place. And they're like, whoa, hey, you can't be doing that. And it was offending them. Now, we could got right down to the legal part of it. And we could say, well, but wasn't it permissible? Didn't matter. It offended my brother. Now, let's entertain that for just a minute. 
It's like, well, I don't like, I don't like the way you say that. It offends me. Now, one of us is going to have to get past it. I don't like the way you do that. One of us is going to have to get past it. One of us is going to have to take a step back. I don't like the way that you, I don't like the way that you do this, or I don't like the way that you do that. At some point in time, there's going to have to be a backing up and a compromise and then a reaching forth together that we continue to strive together. Because if we're not careful, we'll let the little things destroy us. Mm-hmm. The little things will erode uh, we know the scripture, small foxes spoil the vine, right? Isn't that the same in church issues, right? What vine did you think it was talking about? <laughs> right. <clears throat> so the dynamic, the dynamic of the church is set up where we communicate with each other. And it's inevitable you're going to be offended by somebody. It's inevitable. Somebody's going to say something to you to throw you off. And so what I'm going to have to do is, is I'm going to have to look at this right here when he said, um, and I'm going to get the words exactly right. Do not eat the food offered to idols. He was just saying, look, in order for there to be peace, let's just stop doing that because you're going to offend them and it's going to make it hard to coexist. We didn't really have to get into the facts necessarily. It was just about what offended my brother. And if I'm doing something, if Sean's doing something, if someone else, y'all are doing something, and it's a and it's a fin somebody, you think, hmm. Why do you think about that? Because I don't want to offend you. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to hurt you. Now, if I now if I'm offended by something you're doing, now I'm twisting this around. If I'm offended by something you're do, doing, then I need to consider whether you even understand it or not. And if I know full well that you don't realize what you're doing, who needs to take the step back? Me. I do. I need to take a step back and say, it's okay. They don't really realize what they're doing. They don't realize what they're saying. They don't realize the, the, the ramifications of their actions. I'm going to let this, I'm just going to let this go. I'm going to drop it. For the unity of the church. This is what happened right here. This is what was happening. He's, he, the, the church is saying, we got to come up with some, some things here to bring unification. He says, and do not consume blood or meat from a strangled animal and abstain from sexual immorality. This is something that the Gentiles didn't really know anything about. They were prone to be after these things. And sexual immorality was a big one. So he said, in order to just keep peace, guys, don't get involved in those things. You got to keep away from these things. Because we need to have unification, and we're all going to have to agree on this. Yes, there are. Yes. Yes. Yeah, you well, and you too. You got to remember. Remember, a lot of those Gentile believers, when they come in on the day of Pentecost, many of the Gentile believers did not go back home. They stayed. They became a part of the church. That blended the cultures together. And so, what was once normally, it's like um, where they weren't dealing with all of these cultural differences because it would eventually erode out. Now we've got all these issues. We got these people that are living here now that typically didn't live here. And so it's become, it just was an overflow of, of disagreement and things that they were not used to. So there had to be a compromise. There had to be a, a structure given in order for there to be peace. In section two, worldliness and pride, Laodicea was a wealthy city. Wealth had blinded the believers there to their spiritual poverty. They had uh, worldly wealth, but not the golden riches of heaven. They had become spiritually repulsive. Six miles to their north lay Heropolis known for its hot mineral springs. The water from the springs overflowed onto a plateau, then poured over a three foot, 300-foot cliff near Laodicea. By the time the water reached Laodicea, it was lukewarm and disgusting to drink because it's either hot or cold, because you're neither hot nor cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's where they come from, all right? Likewise, the Laodiceans seemed appealing, but they were actually putrid. In Revelation 3.20, Jesus invited them to turn from the worldliness and be reconciled to him. 
Dress yourselves, 1 Peter 5 and 5, or be clothed refers to a servant putting on an apron in preparation to serve. How, how, much, how often have we been talking about servitude of late? It's been a big topic. Servitude, not just in Sunday school, but we've been talking, pastors have been talking about it at different times, talking about putting on this, this apron or putting on this clothing of, of servitude or to be a servant. And a servant is constantly in a place where we're looking at what can be done for someone else, which is really the heart of the church. You've heard me talk about this before, and uh, Haven and I were talking about it recently. The, the problem with consumerism in church today, which is the desire to consume all of the resources, but not actually be a partaker in a servant. If the church is not full of servants, then we cannot excel. We cannot excel. It won't work. Remember, what's it based on? Voluntary. It's you volunteering to be a part of what's going on here. If you don't have people being servants, which is the heart of what this thing's about, then we have problems. It's not going to work. Mm-hmm. That alone, that causes division in church. I've seen it multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, the inappropriate dress, uh, somebody get offended by it, then you got tension, then you got. There's a lot of things, and I know that's aside from this, but I think it needs to be said. Mm-hmm. We need to be careful how we present ourselves. Sure, always. absolutely. Always because be. That can cause problems. Mm-hmm. Always. And then it can cause great problems. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Always want to stay holy in the way that we uh, present ourselves, for sure. Um, humility is tied to willful submission and service. So we got humility being tied to a, a willful submission. What if, so flip it, though. We were just talking about this a second ago. If it's, not, if it's not willful submission, then what would it be? What's the opposite of willful submission? Forceful. Forced submission. That doesn't work. It's not going to work in a church setting. It cannot work because... You didn't desire to actually do it. And that makes all the difference. Okay. We humble ourselves by elevating others, treating them with respect. Peter quoted from Proverbs 3 and 34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble to remind us that we must submit ourselves <laughs> under the mighty hand of God. So that's, that's, a, that's an interesting quote there coming out of verse 6. Because I think everybody, everybody is okay with submitting themselves to God. But what we don't realize is there's, there's a direct correlation to submitting yourselves to God and then submitting yourself to your brother or sister in Christ. A direct correlation. <laughs> Meaning, I serve Christ and then the representation of that means then, because he is the ultimate servant, right? He came and gave everything. Then he calls you and me to be servants. And that's where the church, a lot of times in this culture today, that's the dividing line. I'm totally okay with being a servant to God, but I'm not okay with serving you. That is a contradiction to your own belief system. It's a total contradiction to your own belief system that I will serve God, but I will not serve you. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I didn't start with it just yet. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't say it in the middle of it. Yeah. Godly leadership. I think I think I think our I think our culture today has a problem with the word follow. I think that's a lot of it right there is, is that our culture today has a problem with the word follow and I, I think that attitude comes from it's like well there's somebody's gonna be at the top and that somebody needs to be me. That's the way people think. <laughs> and it's like if you if you look at the way that the church is set up, and I'm not going to get into this, we don't have time. Come to one of the trainings sometimes, and we'll talk about this. But the way that it's set up is that there has to be an inspiration in a leadership come from somewhere. You with me, church? It's got to come from somewhere. I can tell you that if if every decision is cast to a vote, we're going to have problems. 
You don't, you, you think you want that? You don't want that. You do not. It's like, well, who said this carpet needed to be purple? It's like, do we really need to get, get go that far? But some people do. They want to take it, that they want, they want a hand in every little decision that's out there. I'm telling you, church, a good, healthy church doesn't run that way. And if it is run that way, you think there's not, you think there's problems now, there'll definitely be problems then. And you'll get to face each other the whole time dealing with them. Sometimes it's better just to delegate, let them make the decision, and let's all move forward. <laughs> okay. The familiar uh, exhortation in verse 7, to cast all your care upon him, refers to the many difficulties believers face while trying to lead godly lives, including inner spiritual struggles and outward trials. Jesus will carry these burdens because he cares for us. Okay, so you're all carrying, can we all agree that we're carrying inner spiritual struggles? Everybody dealing with outward trials? Sure you are. We're all dealing with it. We actually come here to vent. That's actually what, this is what we come here to do. We come here to get all that stuff off of our chest and stop carrying it. You come in, we got this group faith going. Everybody's in agreement with one another on what the power of the Holy Spirit can do. And I'm, a, I'm in agreement with Danny for whatever he's dealing with today, that God's going to touch him. And I don't have to have a vested interest. I'm just in agreement with him. I just want Danny to get touched. I want Jesse to get touched. I want Jimmy to get touched. And it's this, it's this overall agreement that we are here to release our burdens, not pick more up. Amen. Recently, I've been in a, I've admitted, I've been in a time, a trial some time with the Lord. He's been doing a, a lot of dealing with me. And on a personal level, on a personal, very deep, struggling with certain issues and wondering why they haven't been resolved. And the Lord revealed that to me as to why these problems were not resolved. It was a horse's pill with no doubt. Tanner, you got to stop being so offended by things. And that hurt because I didn't see it. I never, I didn't see that. I didn't realize that I wasn't even really offended, not just by people, but I'm even, I struggle with being offended by situations. And he showed me, he said, you're offended by situations that you can't change. You got, you can't put your hand on it and change it and you're offended by it. And I said, all this came to me, that word in front of me. I just lifted up my head. I was like, how did I not see that? So we're, we're literally at our core. We're depraved. We're, we're lacking so much. And so this journey, this journey of, of having to see a part of myself that I did not see before as being a major issue, I did not realize that. I didn't realize that I had been walking around offended about things that really had no bearing in my life whatsoever. But here I am being offended by it. <coughs> had no power to change it whatsoever. But here I am, and I'm offended. I'm offended that that had to happen. I'm offended by this situation. You know, it's funny. If I was to tell you what those were very intricately and, and, and tell you what was really going on, you might even laugh. Man, that's funny, Darren. But see, I know each one of you probably deal with the same kind of stuff. You got stuff going on inside of you that if you were to share it, we might get a chuckle out of it. But to you, it's real. To you, it's, it's a struggle. See, that's where we, that gets really down to the deepest, to the deepest parts of who we are, the nitty gritty of who we are. And it challenges us. The Holy Spirit says, hey, I'm going to challenge you, Tanner. Stop being offended by this. Mm -hmm. Stop allowing this to turn you upside down. Because if you notice <coughs> that when the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life and he begins to really deal with you and he begins to, he sets you free. The, the next thing that the enemy wants to do is to put you back in bondage again. Oh, yeah. It's like, well, we can't have you walking around free. We can't have you walking around chainless. We got to throw something on you. And one of the most common chains to throw on you is offense. It's one of the most common chains. Strap that thing around you, and you're offended by whatever. Pastor, what's the brand of that? Um, Bacterial hand sanitizer there? Equate. Equate? People come in here and get upset because we're using Equate. 
I can't stand Equate. Equate doesn't do no good. Equate dries my hands out. Equate gave me a rash. I won't come to church here if y'all keep using Equate. And I'm using that as an, an exaggeration. But that's the way we think, church. That's the way we think. Well, I don't like the way that works. And I don't like it. And what is that? What is that? I'm offended. I'm offended by that. I'm offended that y'all are using Equate. Y'all need to get Dove. <laughs> Y'all need to get Germex. I don't even know if Dove has that. I'm just throwing that out there. And I use that, and that's, see, we can laugh about it, right? That's funny. But some of y'all got that problem. Some of y'all got that little thing that bites at you, and it, and it causes you, you look at someone else, and you're like, I don't know why they do that. I wish they would quit doing that. See, that's an offense. You're offended, and you don't even realize it. Because we've, we've trained ourselves to be that way. I'm asking you, the same way I have been challenged, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing that your way too. Look, the Holy Spirit has been dealing with me about stuff, and I'm thinking, why is that an issue? And I don't know, and I wished it wasn't. I literally, at times, I wish I could close my eyes and pretend it wasn't there. But it's there. And God is asking me, he's like, I want you to contend with it. I want you to contend with it. And so lately, I've had to swallow some things, and they'd be so goofy. But here I am, and I'm like, I want to say something. But he's like, don't let it go. You're not offended. Drop it. Uh, it's kind of like, um, you know, when a kid, when you, when, when a kid, your kid grabs something and they get in trouble and, they, and they, you told them not to touch it, right? And then they pick it up and you're like, put it down. And they're like, they got it. And they're looking at you like, I ain't putting it down. <laughs> and you're like, put it down. And they're not putting it down. It's like, and the tears are rolling. I'm not putting it down. See, see, that's the way we are. That's exactly the way we are. I said, put it down. Would you please put it down? And we don't even know why we're upset, but we're upset because we've taken offense and we've allowed ourselves to be angry and upset over things we just need to let go of. Maintain your freedom. Yeah, I think we give, I think most of the time, church, we're free. We're free under Christ, but most of you give your freedom away. Come on. We give it away. Well, I just... I just wrote this down. Um, but I know, like I said, we've probably been on some stuff for the last couple of days. And uh, I, I was like, maybe he's overreacting and we need to step back and think about this stuff. But for you, I, I, I want to let you know to go to the altar and ask him and guide you if you try to get rational about a problem that uh, occurred. I'm with, hey, Danny, I'm with you, brother. I overreact all the time. I'm 100% with you. I'm, I'm an overreactor. Any overreactors in here? We'll overreact. Amen. It's the same thing that just keeps occurring, you know? Sure. And that's where, that's where we stop, and that's great advice. We step, we step back, we say, Holy Spirit, how do I need to deal with this? How do I need to approach this? Let's try to finish up here. Okay. Um, the familiar, or is that where I'm at? No. I'm on part three yet, guys? Yeah, three. Three, okay, sorry. Um, I'm just going to go, I'm going to start at three. Paul critiqued the Corinthian spiritual immaturity without denying their status of Christians. Although they were so immature, he had to address them as if they were, uh, belonged to this world or were infants in Christ. I, we've talked about that recently. I said we've got issues of maturity, right? I said we've got some maturity issues I'm talking about right here, guys. Point at yourself, please. Just point at yourself. We got some maturity issues. We got some things that we need to grow up in. We got some. We got some situations we need to grow up in. That's where a lot of. I mean, marital issues. Church, listen, marital issues. That's actually where a lot of that comes from. It's just those areas that we're just not growing up in, that we have to grow up in. As the root of their problem was a sad reality. You are still controlled by your sinful nature, and that's what it is at its core. The signs were evident in their relationships with one another that were filled with jealousy and quarreling. In their immature behavior, the Corinthian Christians were acting like people who hadn't been transformed by Jesus. I and mean, that's exactly what you're supposed to be doing, is acting like and being a part of that transformation process. You're involved in it, right? And so what it's saying is, is that when you're overcome with jealousy and quarreling and we're offended about the sanitizer at the back of the room, we ain't grown up. And I don't care how long you've been in church. We ain't grown up in that area. 
Come on. That's the hardest thing to admit. Is that, man, I've been in church for 25, 30 years. It's like, but it still bothers you, though. We still, that means we still have not grown up there yet. We're still, we're still a toddler. We're still sucking our thumbs in that area. And that's, that's where we got to start growing up. So we can look at it and say, Holy Spirit, show me how to get by this. Show me how to get through it. And I will push on for you. So jealousy and quarreling. Um, and then the last paragraph, Paul refuted the Corinthians' immaturity. He and Apollos both preached the gospel faithfully, but these believers were divided over whose role was more important. <laughs> there it is right there. Whose role is more important? They were losing sight of kingdom principles. God was responsible for the outcome of both Paul and Apollos' ministry, and each would find his reward in Christ. Where is your reward to be found? In Christ. But see, really, that's where the, the fight is, is that affirmation for yourself. I want to take a little bit of that credit. I want to take a little bit of, I'm, I'm going to, as we said before, the argument over who's right. I want to be right. You're wrong, I'm right. See, what he was saying here, this is what the lesson is pointing out is, but the ultimate reward is with him. And this is actually where you're laying up treasures in heaven. When you make the conscious decision... I'm not going to be offended by what you did. You just laid up treasures in heaven right there. You took a physical situation and you transferred it to the spiritual. You said, no, I'm not going to be offended by that. I love my brother. I love my sister. I'm going to let that go. That's laying up, tre up uh, treasures in heaven. That's, you will get your reward someday for doing that. No, you're not going to get a pat on the back here. Nobody's going to validate you here. You'll get validated in the next life. The life that lasts forever. I'm out of time, guys. This has been a great lesson. I hope you guys got something from this. I hope you also enjoyed it. Take it with you. God bless you. Love you. Thanks.